0: Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I invite for you to join me in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Thank you, Greg, and those that serve with you in leading us in worship. I am so grateful that I get to be a part of this part of the service, because Really, for me, the only thing that I have to worry about is making sure I'm on the right page in my Bible. The rest of the technology and and communication, I don't have to worry about. I just got to make sure that I'm on the right page leading the right Verse and so I'm I'm grateful that I get to be this part of the service. If you come in, there's always a bulletin on the back of the bulletin. If you want to, there's always notes and to help guide our time through the Word this morning. So Mark chapter four, we're going to continue where we left off last Sunday. We have been walking through the Gospel according to Mark together as a church family on Sunday mornings, and so if you remember to where we were at last week, um, Jesus was giving the first of uh, Three parables as Mark is recording the life and the ministry of Jesus. We came to the portion of Scripture last Sunday in Mark chapter three, where Mark then says, "Hey, here's where Jesus starts introducing these parables." And so last week we saw um, there in chapter three where Jesus really give gave three quick parables. He gave a parable about the kingdom, he gave a parable about the house, and he gave a parable about the ruler of the house, and kind of a way of of making a point. And if you remember last week. Um, I just reminded us when we come to these parables, and we're going to come to many, many more parables in the Gospel of Mark. And when we come to these parables, and Jesus gives these parables. He's giving us an earthly story with a spiritual principle. So when we come to these stories, we look at these stories, and we read these stories, and we, and we think about what it says at an earthly level, what it says at a fleshly level. But then we also think about what it's saying on a spiritual level. So, this morning, we are going to continue here in Mark chapter 4, and what he does is he gives us another parable. Now, he's going to do it, he's going to do it in verse 1 down through verse 13 excuse me, verse 1 through verse 13, he's going to give them the parable, then there's going to be a little bit of dialogue. And then when you get down to verse 14, through the rest of the passage there to verse 20 is where he gives them the parable, but with more clarification. So we're going to read through the first 13 verses, um, give a little bit of commentary, but then we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning focusing in on verse 14 down through verse 20. So if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud out of mine, Follow with me, starting in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. and Listen to what Mark says concerning the life and the ministry of Jesus. He says again, he, this talking about Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and he sat in it on the, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain, and the other seeds fell into the good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a... Hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Gives the first parable to those that are listening. Verse 10 And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So they're confused. He had given them the story. He had given them the the illustration. He had given them the parable. But there was questions. There was confusion. What did you mean? What did this imply? What was the explanation? We understand it's an earthly story. But we also understand there's a spiritual principle. So we're a little bit confused. What is the spiritual principle we are supposed to take away? Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, They may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus says there are some things that some people are going to get and some people are not. There are some things that some people are ready to hear, and there are some things that some people are not ready to hear. There are some things that you hear from a matter of maturity or through a matter of spiritual tenderness that in a state of stubbornness or in a state of rebellion, you will not. So there are some things that some people are going to understand and there are some things that some people will not understand. Verse 13. So he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So he's looking at those that are following him and he says, Do you not understand what I'm saying? And if you don't understand this, how are you going to understand what is to Come So starting in verse 14, he gives them clarification. He tells the parable again, but he changes some of the descriptions to provide clarity to what he is trying to say. And here in this parable, I put there in your notes, he's really going to say there are three parts to this parable. There's three parts to this earthly story. There's three parts to this parable. But there is one point that I hope that you will see with me at the end of our time this morning. So he presents these Three parts of the parable, starting in verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. And the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word... Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those, these are the ones that Taylor was talking about during the announcements. But those that were sown of the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept the word and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold, and 100-fold. So in verse 14 down through verse 20, Jesus gives a second telling of the same parable with more Clarification, And I want you to see with me. We're going to look back up at verse 14, and he's going to show us these different parts to the parable. The first part that you see there before you in the text is the sower. Now, he's going to be using an agricultural term all throughout this. He's, he's writing to a, a, an, an audience. He's writing in a time. Jesus is ministering in a time that agriculture was a much bigger player in people's minds and on the conscience of people. So when he uses the words like the sower and the seed, the audience understood. They automatically got it. And so what is he talking about? He is saying that there are two parts. You have first, he says there in verse 14, you have the sower. Now, who is the sower? He doesn't define it as being male or female. He just says there is a person. There is someone that is designated as the sower. Now, in our vernacular, in our times, we might say we have someone that is the teller, someone that is the witness, someone that is the sharer, someone that is the proclaimer. Here in the text, Jesus is saying when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ, when it comes to the gospel that he has given us, there are some people that their role, their job is to be a sower. Notice he doesn't say that we are to come in and we are to be the reaper or the pruner or the fertilizer. Or the tiller. No, it's language that harkens back to places like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, where Paul is telling them that some people plant, some people water, water, and some people receive the harvest. So he is saying, Jesus is saying, when it comes to this thing called the kingdom of God, there is a sower. Now when that sower goes out, going back to the agricultural setting, when that sower goes out, there is an intentionality. There is an intentional effort when the sower goes out. They are going out for a purpose. They're not going out to check the wind. They're not going out to check the temperature. They're not going out to check the moisture in their soil. They're going out for one purpose, and that is to sow the seed, to plant the seed, to broadcast the seed, to distribute the seed. There is an intentional effort, and then also, baked into this, there is a desired result. Why is the sower going out to sow seed? Because the sower wants more of the same kind. There's an intentionality. There is a desire of what they're going out, why they're going out, the purpose they're going out. There is a reason. There is a purpose. There is a motivation. There is a mission to what they are doing. And every day when we go out, we are sowing something. Now I realize that you may not wake up in the morning and grab your no-till drill and you may not go out and you may not plant hard red or hard red winter wheat in preparation for the coming months. That may not be your thing. But yet you go out and you sow with your words. You you, you go out and you sow with your actions. You go out and you sow with your behavior. You go out and you sow with your response. You are going out and you are distributing a piece of yourself, a part of yourself. A little bit about you goes every single way. When you walk into the gas station, up in the beds, and if you walk in, you are sowing your witness. You are sowing your personality. You are sowing who you are. And it's not just in the matter of, well, only on Sundays when we come into church. No, the idea is that the sower is sowing seeds because that's who the sower is. And that's what the sower does. And somewhere we've lost that concept in the church today that we think that we are just Christians when we're in here or when we feel like it or when it's comfortable. The reality is if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're a Christian 24-7, which means that you are a sower 24-7. And so the question is, is what are you sowing? Some people like to sow frowns. Why are you so grumpy? Oh, I'm tickled pink. Well, you forgot to tell your face. Some people want to go around and they want to sow discord. And they want to sow sow gossip. Well, preacher, we've been talking. Well, preacher, I have heard. Oh, the rumor, the scuttlebutt is, and they go on. They want to sow discord. They they, They want to sow contempt. They want to sow gossip. They want to sow doubt. I got in trouble a couple of weeks ago when I used negative Nancy as an example because I forgot that Miss Nancy was here. But when some of those, some of those times, some of those, some of those situations, people run around. And what do you want to sow? You want to sow pessimism. You want to sow negativity. You want to sow all the reason why it won't work. Here in the text, Jesus says there's a part of this parable, and first it's the sower. And I think that there is an opportunity for us today to think about what it is that we are sowing. The second thing he puts in there is the seed. We're still in verse 14. He says the sower sows the word. Now what is the word? He's talking about sowing the word. Other places he talks about the seed in the previous verses, but he talks about there being a part of the sower. And then the second part of the parable is the seed. Now he describes what this seed is. Verse 14, he says they sow the word. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. You go back to the original language and it is the logos or the logos, however you want to pronounce it. But it's the idea that they're going around and they are sharing the word of God. They are teaching the word of God. They are proclaiming the word of God. They are going around and that is what they are doing. Now notice how he's framing it here in the passage. The sower is sowing the seed. Did the sower create the seed? Did the sower invent the seed? And on one level, does the sower even own the seed? Now I realize that some of you more involved in agriculture than I am, you can say, oh, Spence, you don't understand. I can go over to the farm store in Chandler, and I can buy seed, and therefore I own seed. And I understand in that concept and that mentality, yes, you can, but the reality is you can't create it, you can't invent it, and all you can do is transfer the possession of it. Oh, Spence, you don't understand. See, there's other companies, big companies, and they've been found ways to invent seed and develop seed. And I would say, I disagree. They might have found ways to modify it and try to add it and try to twist it and try to manipulate it. But I have yet to find a scientist that can take a wheat seed and produce an apple tree. So the question is, is where does the seed come from? Well, here in the text in verse 14, we are sowing the seed, and the seed is the word of God. We receive the seed from God. We receive the word of God from God. So as the sowers, we are going out, and what are we sowing? We are sowing the seed, being holy Bible. So he says, there's the sower. They go out and they sow the seed. It's the, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's this idea that when they go out, they're to tell people about Jesus, about what God has done and what Jesus has done, how much God loves them, what Christ has done by dying on a cross for them. We're to go out and we're to be sowers of that message. Now the danger is, I want to be original. And I want to come up with something new. I want to come up with something trendy. I want to come up with something that no one's heard before. I want something to come up with something that they're like, oh, man, have you heard Spence? He is such a dynamic speaker. He is such a charismatic speaker. He has insight and wisdom that no one else has. He has revelation. He has understanding that no one has. And there's a desire out there to be that person, that oracle, that, that, that figure that everybody wants to throng to. I have not been called to be the Messiah or the Savior. I've been called to be the sower of the Word of God. And the Word of God does not need reinvention. The Word of God does not need manipulation. The Word of God does not need fresh paint and new curtains. The Word of God needs to be proclaimed. And instead of me or you or us as a church trying to find ways to reinvent ourselves and to make ourselves tickle the ears of the people that we're speaking to, maybe you and I just to be more, maybe we should be more focused on sowing the word of God instead of trying to mess with the seed. A couple years ago we were (coughs) up in Muskogee and Muskogee has the, the castle. And they had to do that renaissance festival that lasts for years and years on end. And it's not just a one-time thing. And so you go up there, there's, there's this whole village, and, and, and my beautiful wife is just enthralled. And, and as we're going through this area, and you have all the the time era. it's the renaissance-esque Period, if you will, and so there's all of those people and they're dressed up and they're playing in characters and you have the jousting and you have the falconry and you got the chainmail and you have the apocalypse and you have all this stuff and I'm just going through saying when do I get to go home and I'm just I'm just going through this and so at one point we got to sit there and we got to watch this this young lady uh, fly this bird around and that that's, that's really cool watching this bird fly around and so uh, we're we're sitting there and as we're waiting there is a gentleman and he is off to the side of the arena. And he's in what would look like a boat from that period of time that was cut in half like a shipwrecked boat. And as he's sitting in this makeshift stall, in front of him he has a bucket. And in the bucket is full of dill pickles. Whole dill pickles. And his whole purpose for being there was to sell pickles. Now, because we are in proximity to one another, I'm over there waiting for the bird flying to take place, controlling a family. He's over there trying to sell pickles. I kind of got an idea of what he's doing, and he just sat there. And he was like a carnival guy. He was trying to get the crowd, trying to announce the crowd, trying to announce that all the people walking by, I have pickles. Come buy my pickles. And for probably a good 30 minutes... I heard that man shout, he had pickles, come buy his pickles. Now he said it in different ways, and he tried to use a little humor, humor. and so he would walk by. And let's say Mr. Van was walking by, and he'd say, hey, sir, you know what will fix that hairdo? A pickle. And then someone else would walk by, and he'd say, hey, sir, do you know what you need with that outfit? You need a pickle. And he'd say different things. But at the end of the day, all he was doing was he was a man working at a stall trying to sell a pickle. So you, say, you, say, well, you say, well, Spence, what does it have to do with this? You know, the, 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 the temptation is, is for you and I to think that we've got to be innovative. Or that you and, you and I think that we've got to have some special niche. Or you and I think that we've got to do something that no one has ever seen before. And when it comes to the Word of God, Jesus says, Spence, you sit in your place and you sell pickles. And you proclaim pickles, you talk about pickles, and you tell people why they need pickles. All you need to do is sit there and sow the word of God. And so Jesus says here in the text, you have the sower and you have the seed. Church, we do not need to reinvent ourselves. We just need to simply say, this is the word of God. But there's a third part. That starts in verse 14. Sorry, verse 15. So you have the sower, you have the seed, and then you have the soil. Now I want to take a little bit more time here because so many times in the church today we will use a phrase like, are you saved? And that question will come around and I'll look at you or you'll look at me or we'll look at someone else and we'll just ask the question, are you saved? The problem is, is what do we mean by that? How do we define that? What is all baked into the idea of whether a person is saved or not? And then the the drawback comes is then when someone says they are saved or they make a profession of faith, and they say that they're saved, and then it comes along five years later, ten years later, five days later, five weeks later, and all of a sudden they have become disenchanted, and they've stepped away from the church. They've stepped away from obedience. They've stepped away from faithfulness. Now we have a whole new conundrum about what was that, what is that, how do we define it, and how we classify it. So you have people in the church today that will say, well, they must be able to lose their salvation. And so there's a whole strain of thought. Can you lose your salvation? What does it mean to lose your salvation? How do you get back your salvation? How do you know that you've lost your salvation? And there's a whole train of dirty bathwater if you go in that direction. And the other thought is, is well, 1 John 2.19, they must have not ever been saved to begin with. Well, yeah, but we saw that person. We sat with that person in the church. They did all these great things. How do we understand? How do we reconcile? How do we make sense of what a person was versus who they are now? And how do we understand this? And how do we work around this? And this is all baked into the idea of being saved. I want you to notice with me in these next few verses that Jesus does not talk about whether you're saved or not. He asks a different question. So notice in verse 15, he says, there is the sower, there is the seed, and there is the soils. And so he talks about He's going to give us four different categories. And I submit to you this morning that what he's doing is he's saying these are the four categories by which we can look at the people around us. We're not initially being judgmental in the spiritual sin of saying whether you're saved or you're not saved. But how do we interpret? How do we categorize? How do we reconcile these things in our minds? So he says there are four different types of people upon hearing the word of God and their responses. So the first one is the path. He talks about that there in verse 15. The one son along the path where the word is sown, when they hear Satan or when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. He's saying, there's the path. There are the ones that hear, but there is no response. They hear the Word of God. They hear the truth about who God is, but there is never a response. Several weeks ago, my family and I, we were to a God's country up there in Stillwater. and right before the Friday night before Saturday the football homecoming, Eternities and sororities, they always do their walk around. That's where they have all their big decorations. that They've spent months and months and thousands of dollars to put up, to put in the trash the next day. But they put all this stuff up there, and they have all this stuff set in place. And so you come walk around. You come and you look at all the different decorations. And so as we were walking around, we got down there next to the AGR house, and there was a Hispanic family believe they were Pentecostal, but there was an Hispanic family. And they were sitting there on the street, throngs of people, thousands of people, milling around, walking around. And this Hispanic man is preaching the gospel through a loudspeaker to the people that were passing by. We turned the corner and we started headed up the street there, back to the west. And a pastor there in Stillwater by the name of Adam Dice, he was there on the side. And he also had a bullhorn and he was also preaching And I was amazed at how many people were walking back and forth, and and I was looking to see, has anybody stopped? Is anybody listening? And sadly, there were a lot of paths that were moving around. They heard the Hispanic man, and they knew that he was talking about Jesus, but they just kept walking. They walked past Adam Dice and people from the church that he serves at, and they heard him talking about Jesus, but they just kept on walking. It's those individuals that Jesus says hears, but there's no response. Notice it's the same seed and it's the same sower. But there will be some people, as Jesus says, some people will just simply not respond. And so that, that sometimes is a very discouraging moment. We get in the life of the church and we get around people and we're like, we expect everybody to respond. We think every time we talk about Jesus, everybody is going to make some type of decision. We think we're going to go door to door and everybody is going to accept Christ and when they don't we get discouraged when they don't we get disenchanted when they don't we start to question ourselves and we start to think well the problem is us and sometimes in ministry I can study my heart out and I can pray my heart full and we can gather in this room and we can study God's word together and then we come to the time of response I sense that you are more in a hurry to get out of here than to respond to God's word. And that can sometimes be a, what I do wrong. And we have to always remind ourselves collectively that our job is just to be the sower of the seed. And there will be sometimes times that people respond and there will be sometimes that people do not respond. What about when they do respond? Oh, he talks about that. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy but they have no root in themselves and endure for a while when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You have the people, Jesus says, you have the people that are the, the rocky soil and they, the seed falls upon them. They hear it, they have a response to it, but they are only concerned and interested in what is easy and convenient. And so when it becomes a sacrifice, when it becomes a work, when they have opposition, when the friends and the family around them start to ask questions and there is any kind of stiff wind at their face they quickly fall away and then you have the thorny soil verse 18 and the others (coughs) are the ones sown among the thorns and they are the ones who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful Jesus says there's the path, those that hear, but there's no response. There's the rocks, they hear, but there's no commitment. And there's the thorns. They hear, but they are quickly distracted. They start off good. They look good. They sound good. You get them plugged in. Somebody shows up and they're just on fire for the Lord. They're asking all the right questions. And you're just You plug them into ministry. You plug them into teaching. You plug them into service. You plug them in all these areas and everything's going great. And five years later, they have done what the world is now calling deconstruction. About 10 years ago is when that term first came up, and it's this idea that somebody had faith, was a believer in Jesus Christ, and somewhere along the way decided they were going to stop having faith and stop believing in Jesus Christ, and they deconstructed. And so the world is all aghast going, how do we qualify this? How do we define this? What category do we put them in? Jesus says those individuals that claim, like a Joshua Harris, that they have deconstructed, they are the ones that either were in the rocky soil or they were in the thorns. You may say, well, no, 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 no. It's been 15 years. Notice Jesus doesn't qualify how long. He just says this is the result. He doesn't say how long it's going to take for the Rockies to fade away. He doesn't say how long it's going to take for the thorns to be choked out. He just says this is what happens. They hear, but there's no commitment. They hear, but they are quickly distracted. They hear, but what does he say at the last part of verse 20? It proves unfruitful. And Then he gets to the fourth soil. And he says those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word accept it, and bear fruit. So he says, here's the four categories. You have those that hear the word of God and they just, there's no response. You have those that are the rocky soul and they hear the word of God and they respond to it and everybody's excited, but they're looking for the easy, convenient life. And there are those that are born, that that, that have the thorny soul, and and they hear the word of God, and they're like, yeah, we understand it. And for a season, they're there. They they endure some of the persecution. They endure some of the opposition. They endure some of those things. They're there, they're there, they're there. But intentionally, over time, these thorns start to pop up. And if you think about how these thorns work, these thorns don't grow up over a course of a number of hours. They grow up over a course of a day. And so these thorns start to sprout up. And instead of that person recognizing that thorn is going to cause me problems, they let that thorn be there and the taller that thorn gets the more that thorn starts to influence them the more that thorn starts to drive them away the more that thorn starts to become a problem some of you have thorns in your home and you know there are thorns in your home and you haven't done anything about them and i would encourage you plead with you admonish you get out get them out of your house well spence i still owe money on them then get out Well, Spence, I spent a lot of time to hang that thing right in the middle of my living room wall. Get it out! Well, Spence, if I don't have that thing that I can look at as soon as I wake up in the morning, how am I going to know the weather? They're lying to you, anyways. Get it out! But some of us, and, that, and, and that's the sense of that that's the reality of it. Some of us start to let these thorns grow up around us, and that's the language he says. There, he says they were they were a good seed, and they were they were producing, they were growing, and everything looked good, and everything went right. But they started to let these thorns, and these thorns started coming around them. And instead of recognizing recognizing for the danger that they were, they were content with letting the thorns be there. And as the thorns continued to take root, as the thorns continued to grow, they didn't realize that what those thorns were going to do is eventually choke the spiritual. Life out of them. And then you get to a season of life where the thorns are overwhelming and they're so encompassing, and you find yourselves in the middle of the thorns. And you feel trapped, and you feel desperate, and you feel all alone, and then you get mad at God, and then you blame God when all along you've been fertilizing and watering and tending to the thorns. So he says, Be careful of the thorns. And the problem with the thorns is they prove to be unfruitful. So then verse 20, the ones that are in the good soul, they hear it, they respond to it, and they bear fruit. So he he contrasts these two. So notice the only thing that is different between 1 in verse 19 and 1 in verse 20 is that the bearing of fruit. Verse 19, they were unfruitful. Verse 20, they bared fruit. Now was there a difference in the sower? No. Was there a difference in the seed? No. Was there a difference in the initial response of the person or of the heart? No. What was the difference? One was intent upon bearing fruit. The other one was intent or content with not bearing fruit. It's the idea that there's these categories that are there and what Jesus is doing is he is not dividing them into the saved or the not saved or the saved and the lost or the people that know Jesus and don't know Jesus. He is saying a way of describing and a way of categorizing is whether they're producing fruit or not. You may say, oh, Spence, so you're saying you're going to present a works-based idea of Christianity. No, I am not. I know that we are saved by grace through faith. But I also understand an obedient Faithful believer will produce fruit. And I shouldn't even say produce fruit. I should say bear fruit. Well, Spence, I just don't know. How do you define what is fruit? Well, let's first start off with the idea that all of us are to bear fruit. Uh, If you want to, you can turn there to John chapter 15. Jesus says as many words there in John chapter 15, that when we are believers in him, when we are followers of him, we will bear fruit fruit. So if you look there in John chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 4. This is what Jesus says. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I and in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8. By 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 this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is the connection that Christ put there to a follower and bearing fruit? He says that is the mark. That is the demonstration. That was the outward manifestation that you are a follower of Jesus, that you bear fruit. I corrected myself a minute ago because sometimes we start to think that my responsibility is to Create fruit, to invent fruit, or to produce fruit. And nowhere in Scripture will you see that the production of fruit is your responsibility. The production of fruit is not your responsibility. The production of fruit is the result of the Spirit at work in your life. So you're going to bear fruit. So you say, ah, oh, well, Spence, okay, so then what is the fruit that I'm supposed to bear? Give me the list. Corey Hill and I love list i love it if you would just tell me these are the five things that i need to do and when i'm done i'm done and i can just get those five things check them off and i can feel good about myself and i can go on and do the things that i want to do the reality is and the problem is is that that's not the way the kingdom of god works so he gives us pictures i'm gonna look read for you out of galatians chapter 5 he talks about the desires of the flesh, and he talks about the desires of the Spirit. And he gives us the evidence, the works, the, the, the fruit of the flesh, and then he'll give us the fruit of the the spirit. So he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says those are the evidences, those are the fruits, those are the bearing of someone that is living by the flesh and not by the Spirit. So it's not a matter that you and I go around and being judgmental when people are in opposition to God's word. We're just simply identifying and saying that is in contradiction to God's word. In the class that I'm in right now, it's teaching principles in higher education where they're they're, they're trying to teach us how to teach on the academic level. And in the class, there was conversations about how you would set a standard for cheating or plagiarism. And I just simply said, in the standard, it would say, don't do it. And if you do do it, it's a symptom of a lost person. So don't do it. And another classmate said, oh, that is so, so inappropriate to question the salvation of a student. I said, what's inappropriate about it? What is so inappropriate about telling a person that is acting like a lost person, they're acting like a lost person? I'm not telling that person they are a lost person. And I'm not telling that person that I have the power to take away their salvation. I'm just saying that what you're doing is acting like a lost person. And if you don't want to be identified as a lost person, then stop acting like a lost person. And yet we're in a time and age that we can't do that. Spence, you can't tell people that they're acting like a lost person. Says who? Why can we not say that behavior is immature and that behavior is in step with what God calls the flesh and sin. And that is what God sent his son to die for. So he says there in Galatians chapter 5, this is the fruit. This is the fruit of the flesh. If you sweet people that are standing before me this morning, or even listening to me via the electronic device, if those things that I read in verse 19 to verse 21 is true about you, the Bible says repent. Stop it. Recognize it's evidence of the flesh and not of the spirit and turn to God verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is what i'm going to tell you and I don't like half of these love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control I wish I had a spiritual eraser and I could erase half of those out of the Bible. Because when I look at those, I'm like, well, Spence, you know what? If you're going to produce, if you're going to bear the fruit of a follower of Jesus Christ, then these things got to be true about you. And I struggle mightily with many of these things. But does that give me an excuse or a pass? No. So how do we bear fruit? We practice the things of Spirit. So going back to Mark chapter 4 what is Jesus trying to communicate? Jesus is saying when it comes to this parable there's some different categories and you and I come to, this, come to this text and we can look at ourselves and we can look at our lives and we look at the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying and we can say, so alright where does Spence fall in this passage? Well every single one of us in this room are good fruit or good soil are we? Are we? Well, Spence, you can't impugn, you can't insinuate that we are not good soil. No, what I want to encourage you with this morning is to ask yourself Am I bearing fruit? So then, what is the message for the church? Last part of your notes. Jesus gives us this parable. Jesus talks about the sower, talks about the seed, talks about the soils, gives us some categories by which we can understand the way that people respond, the way that people behave, the way that people step away from the church, the way that people fall into a state of backslidden or walk into a state or even some situations run to a state of being backslidden. I mean, how do we categorize that? Jesus gives us some classifications. He gives us some categories. Here's how we explain it and here's how we understand it. Here's how we can pray for them. Here's how we can encourage them. Here's how we can plead with them. So then, what is the message that Mark is giving to the church that we can go out and share with the world? The first one I put there at the bottom of your notes is That the seeds are free. The seeds are free. We do not have to pay for the seeds. We do not have to go and invent the seeds. Well, Every single year we have to decide what kind of seed. God has given us the seed of his word. He has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given us an unlimited number of seeds. We do not have to worry. We do not have to be in tune. All we need to do is go out and plant seeds. Just west of where the Gillantines live now, there's a, a big bottom there along the railroad tracks. And, and years ago, Raymond Ralston ran that because that was part of his mama's place. And so he would have me down there and he would have uh, not one of those fancy no-till drills because Raymond didn't believe in all the fancy stuff or air conditioners or radios. And so he had just your, one of your regular standard seed drills and it had the the gears on there and you would have to set the gears to determine how many seeds per distance that you wanted to put down and so you had to be really particular because this this particular model that if you didn't keep a constant contact on it those things would rattle around and vibrate around and the next thing you know you'd be putting down 10 times more seed than you wanted to put down and that seed cost money that seed was expensive so I remember Raymond being very clear about making sure that on a regular basis you get out and you check those settings and you make sure those settings because he didn't want putting down more seed than he needed to put down and so I would sit there in the tractor and I'd go for a certain period of time and then I'd have to get off and I'd have to make sure those dials were just what he wanted otherwise I would waste all of his seed on half of the pasture that's not how it is with the kingdom of God you don't have a certain amount of smiles on your face allotted to you every morning and that's all you get you don't get a certain number of God bless you that you only get to use sparingly through the day There's only so many times that you can talk about Jesus and no more, oh, and it's nothing like that. It's unlimited. It's unlimited. Every single morning, we get to get up. And anybody, anybody, is an opportunity for us to plant a seed. Anybody. You can smile. How are you doing today? Love on them. What's Jesus doing for you? How much does God love you? Every single day we get to get up and we get to sow as many seeds as we are willing to sow. As many. There's not a cap. There's not a number. You and I, every single morning, as many as we want to sow, it's like every single morning, God has this entire grain elevator full of seed, and he just says, Spence, you just keep sowing, and I'll just keep supplying. You won't run out. As many as you need, I'll supply everyone you need. And we just got to keep on going, sowing, 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 sowing. Because the seeds are free. but Not just the seeds are free. Sowers are needed. Think back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, and Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Something like over 200 cups of hot chocolate got passed around last night down there at the feed store. 120 hams got distributed. A parade that used to last 15 seconds in years past seemed like it lasted for 30 minutes last night. 21 different vendors and booths were set up down there. Lights down Main Street. Hundreds of people, within a block and a half of this church, there wasn't a lack of harvest. The 2020 census numbers said that there was 15,000 people that live within a 10-mile radius of this pulpit. of those 15,000 people are classified as under the age of 40. There's not a lack of harvest. There is just a lack of sowers. And every single one of us in this room have an opportunity to be a sower. So Mark is saying, understand, the seeds are free, sowers are needed, but I submit to you this morning that what he's also reminding us of reminding us of is that salvation is not the question. The question is, are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? See, so many times in our Christian walk, we just think, well, I'm saved, so that's all I gotta do. No, being saved is the first step, the first part. That's that's stop number one. The whole goal is, is for not just you to be saved, but also for you to be faithful. Well, faithfulness is a lot harder, Spence. Can I just get saved and I have the insurance and I'm good? No, that's great and that's good, but that's not it. You have been called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that by that, John 15, you will bear fruit. In order to bear fruit, you've got to be faithful. In order to bear fruit, you have to be connected to the vine. According to bear fruit, you've got to be with the Savior. And the whole goal, the whole question is, is not are you saved? The question is, is are you being fruitful? So that's where we're at this morning. Salvation is a good step. I mean, you might be here this morning and you never made that decision. God loves you. God has sent His Son to die for you. And the separation between you and God that was created by your sin can be redeemed. It can be restored by Christ paying the penalty for your sin. And that is done by you repenting of your sin, you crying out for forgiveness of your sin, and God saving you. And maybe you're here this morning and that's the first step for you as you say, I need to be saved. But I suspect that more of us in this room need to ask ourselves the question, am I being fruitful? I can't tell you exactly what fruitfulness looks like for you in life, but you know. And you may say, well, Spence, I'm not really sure. Well, then maybe in the next few moments you need to take time and just say, God, would you show me am I being fruitful? Evidence of my life, pointing others to you. you bow your heads with me? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.